Please turn together once again now in God's Word to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, as we are looking at the Ten Commandments, we come tonight to the First Commandment, Exodus 20, verse 3. We're actually going to spend two weeks on this commandment. It might seem surprising with how short it is, but this is the First Commandment. It's foundational. And uh, tonight we're going to focus more on the negative. What does God call us away from? What does he forbid? Um, Next week, Lord willing, we will consider what does God call us to in this command? Um, How are we to have him alone as our our God? So I'm going to read just the first three verses of Exodus 20. And then I'm going to read two other brief passages. uh, Deuteronomy 6. And then from 1 Corinthians 8, I'll tell you those as I come to them. Please give your attention once again now to the word of God. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Keep your finger there in Exodus 20 and turn forward if you would like to follow to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9. This is right after Moses has reviewed and restated the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5 as the people prepare to go into the promised land. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then finally, a brief passage from 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4 through 6. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 4 through 6. These verses come in the context of Paul addressing the issue of what to do with food that has been offered uh, to idols. But he makes some helpful comments here about uh, false gods and idols. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4 through 6. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Amen. Let's pray together as we consider God's word. Father in heaven, we pray that you would now enable us to hear your word by faith, 
to consider this first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Lord, we pray that you would convict us of sin where that is necessary. But as you do so, Lord, point us to the perfection of Jesus and his perfect sacrifice for us. And let us cling to him by faith. Let us have you and you only as our God. We ask that you would bless your word to us tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you live for? Who do you live for? What makes you tick? What we live for often can be shown, sometimes powerfully, by what we are willing to die for. What we search for, what we pursue at all costs. For some people, that is youth, power, fame, fortune, freedom, knowledge, joy, acceptance. What about you? What do you live for? What do you long for? Well, the very first commandment in the Ten Commandments tells you that there is so much that you should not live for. So much that is false and empty and vain and will actually suck life out of you. In fact, there is only one, one above all else that should consume your heart and your devotion, and should be the center of your life and your worship. The Lord your God, the living and true God. Uh, You are to live to glorify and enjoy him. He should get you up in the morning. He should have your ultimate allegiance, your full trust, your greatest love. Anything or anyone but him is forbidden. He alone must be the object of your worship and the center of your life. And so here in the very first commandment, he forbids anything else from taking that place, his place. Anything else from being your God. And tonight we want to begin to hear and understand what God means by that. Why he gave us this command. What does he forbid and why? What must we not do? Well, friends, God says to you tonight, none other before me. That is his word to each of you tonight. You shall have no other gods before me. God calls you, people of God, to have no other gods before the Lord your God. Well, to help us unpack Uh, What this means, what the first commandment calls us away from tonight, uh, we're going to just look briefly at five characteristics of this foundational first commandment. I want us to see together tonight, you'll see this in your outline, that the first commandment is personal, it is provocative, it's pervasive, protective, and it is powerful. So let's work through those characteristics tonight. First of all, the first commandment is personal. Look again at our verses um, in Exodus 20. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment is personal. And when God says you, you shall have no other gods, that word you is going to be a bit of grammar here, but it's important. That word you is a second person singular. Meaning God says each one of you individually. Sometimes he speaks to you as collectively, you all. But here he's saying you individually shall have no other gods. It's as if God looks at you. He faces you and looks you in the eye and calls your name and says, have no other gods before me. God speaks directly to you. He demands your total devotion, your undivided affection, your heart, your time, your life, your worship. He says, you belong to me and I must belong to you. He who loves you looks to you and says, no one else before me. I'm it. I am the one. And unless you hear this very first commandment this way, uh, you, can, you can miss the point. God is demanding your exclusive loyalty and love and devotion. He wants you for him alone. He's jealous of you and your worship. So he doesn't just give this general call or suggestion He gives this direct command that's something like a a personal plea. I want you to think about how at a wedding, a a man and a woman make exclusive vows to one another. Think about how they face one another, at least in our culture, and they often hold each other's hands, and they look into each other's eyes and speak personally and directly. And, And you'll hear the first and second person singular. I take you promising lifelong exclusive love and devotion and faithfulness. Well, the first commandment is a little bit like that. It's as if God takes us in his hands and looks in our eyes and says, I am yours. I'm the one that made you. I've made vows to you, promises. I've acted on them. I've saved you. You are mine And now I must be yours. Have no one but me. And one day each and every one of you will appear face to face before him. The God that issued this command. The one who breathed life into you. Romans 14.12 says each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so friends, is he your God? Have you faced him, if you will, and heard him and committed to him alone, forsaking all others, forsaking your sin, clinging to his son, Jesus? Do you give him your heart and your life and your worship? Well, you must. But this is not easy. This commandment is not easy. This commandment was countercultural. It still is. And it's also counter to our sinful nature. And so because of that, we can say second tonight that this commandment is provocative. Uh, the first commandment is provocative. 
Verse 3 again, you shall have no other gods before me. God is making a clear, exclusive demand here. He forbids worship of anyone or anything but him. He says, you cannot have any other God. He does not allow polytheism, pluralism, atheism, or any other ism besides monotheism, the the worship of him, the one living true God. This was a provocative commandment when it was issued because of the world around Israel, and it still is today. This is not okay with people. Because of our sinful, rebellious hearts, people will say, don't tell me who I can or I cannot worship. I have the right to worship and live for whoever or whatever I want. But God says here, no, that is wrong. And this flew in the face of everything the the ancient world believed and, and practiced. And it does in our world today. But think about Israel as they heard these words at Mount Sinai. They had just come out of Egypt where there was a god or goddess for everything. A god for the sun, the Nile, the weather, the frogs, a god of love, livestock. God is saying to Israel, you cannot worship them. You cannot have them as your god. Nor could they worship the god of the Canaanites. Uh, where they were going, Baal or Asherah or Moloch. And at that time, each nation and tribe had their own gods, and that was simply normal and, and acceptable. And it was really a great temptation and snare to God's people. But what, what was interesting is that no one claimed that their God was the only God, or that all others were forbidden and false. And yet God here is saying, I am the true God. You must forsake all others. Uh, The history of the world is full of false gods. The world itself today is full of false gods. Our postmodern and pluralist world will tell us that all gods are equal. Uh, Have whichever you like, but don't say that your God is the only true God. Uh, That's intolerant, arrogant uneducated, hateful, a violation of our rights. But God says here in the first commandment, you have no right to false gods. I made you. I alone can save you. You are entirely dependent upon me. You are made to worship me alone. I am the true God. All others are false. They don't even exist. This commandment was provocative because of how countercultural it was and it is. And not only is this unacceptable in our world and in the ancient world, this commandment also counters our sinful nature, our sinful hearts. It was John Calvin that said, Our hearts are like idol making factories. In our sin, we make false gods. We don't want to worship the true God, our creator. We want to worship the creation, ourselves, the world, or or whatever our imagination or reason creates. 
Uh, we, uh, we do not like this commandment. We, we don't want to be told who has to be on the throne in our life. Uh, we want that throne. We want to be free to place whatever we want on it. Whether that's a false god, a false religion, whether it's the god of science or reason or sex or money or power or fame or entertainment, or the god of self, God says, no, I am God, not you, not anything or anyone else. I forbid all false worship, all false gods. The third commandment is provocative because it is so countercultural and because it goes against our sinful nature. And I wonder if you find it provoking you tonight. What idols have you allowed into your heart and your life? Where have you perhaps followed the wisdom of this world? Friends, where you, where you might see this in your life, humble yourself before God. A turn away from false gods, the false gods of our world and, and our hearts. A cling to the true God and his mercy to you in Jesus Christ. Well, that brings us to number three. The, the first commandment, third tonight, is pervasive. This is a pervasive commandment. It reaches into the depths of the heart and the corners of our life. Listen again to the, the words of this command. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. Those words, before me, can be confusing. They can sound like God is saying, have no other gods ahead of me or before me in order or rank. But literally the, the words mean before my presence or before my face. God means I will not tolerate anything treated as a God in my presence, in my face. Now if you or I said this, don't have or don't do that before me, in my presence, we would mean don't do that around me. If you want to do that when I'm not around, when, and not in my presence, um, you can do that. I may not like it, but I won't know. But when God says, do not have any other gods before me, it's different. It's pervasive. It's all-inclusive because God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. If he forbids any other gods in his presence, and he is present everywhere, that means he forbids all gods anywhere. It means it doesn't matter if it is in your bedroom, in your closet, in the depths of your heart, on your screen. It doesn't matter if no one else knows about it. it doesn't matter if, it's, if you're nowhere near the church building or the, the people of God. All false gods are forbidden. God claims your whole life and your whole heart and doesn't allow anything anywhere at any time to take this place. And this includes loving or trusting anything above him. Even good things that you can rightly love and trust and delight in, but, but too much and in the place of God. 
They can become idols. They can take the place of God when they take you from complete devotion to Him. When they turn your hearts and draw your hearts from Him. And this could be trusting or loving your strength. Putting too much trust in, in money. Physical passions or cravings, longing for these. Being overly concerned about your reputation. Psalm 44 verse 21 says... God knows the secrets of the heart. We can't hide anything from him. He sees. He he knows. It is all before his face. What are you tempted to put your trust in above God? What are you tempted to love more than him? What is there in your life that might be stealing too much of your time and attention and thought and devotion? What has perhaps become a necessity for you or an addiction and you depend on it rather than God for joy and strength above and beside God? Think about what excites you. What do you put your trust in? What has become a God? This command is pervasive. God calls you in it away from anything in any part of your life that you have before him as God. This commandment calls you to an intense searching out of your heart and your life, your motives, what you love. All of life is before him. You can't hide it from him. And so ask him tonight as you hear his word, ask him to search you, to search your heart, to show you if there are false gods in your life. And then ask him for forgiveness and help. Confess that and and turn from that and turn to his mercy in Christ. Uh, Seek help from others who know you well. To root out anything that, that might take his place. And know that in Jesus Christ, he is a God who forgives sinners. A God who forgives those who break this very first commandment. And he says, I will be your God. I will forgive you. I will save you. Well, that leads us then to number four tonight. Fourth, know that this commandment is for your good. God gives this commandment to protect you. The fourth commandment is protective. Protective. God's commandments are not burdensome, they're not restrictive. They don't take joy and freedom out of life. They are for your good. They are there to protect you and give you true freedom. Moses said in Deuteronomy 6.24, The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive. It's like the mother or father telling the little toddler, You shall not have that hot stove as a toy. You shall not touch that that stove. They love the little one. They want to protect that little one. It's not taking something good from them. It's it's preserving life and, and doing good for them. The first commandment is for your good. All of the commandments are for your good. They are there to protect and preserve you, to lead you on the path of life and safety. When God gives this command or other commands, he is not acting as a self-centered dictator 
enforcing slavish loyalty to him because he's power hungry or, or proud. No, he's protecting his children. He's calling them to what is pure and true and lovely and right and filling. Having false gods, worshiping false gods is foolish and empty and wrong. They do nothing but harm people in this life and in the life to come. But the living God is real. He exists. He is good. He can help. He saves. He brings joy and peace. False gods can do none of that. The worship of the true God is the highest joy and the greatest good. It is the purpose of life. And God is only forbidding here that which is not good for you and for me. That which does not bring him glory. He knows that if you love and worship false gods, you'll be lost. You'll be miserable. You will die in your sins. And that is not cruel and selfish and restrictive That's gracious, it's protective, it's wise and good. I once made a law for a college roommate of mine. And this guy was a big, strong, tough Marine. And I said to him, if you're going to ride my mountain bike, you must wear a helmet. You shall not ride without a helmet. That was the commandment, the law that I gave him. And he thought it was ridiculous He thought he didn't need that. He would take care of himself. But I knew the damage that could be done if he was free from my restrictive law. I was protecting him. And hours later, after he had totaled my favorite bike and snapped a small tree in half, uh, he actually thanked me for this law. You see, I wasn't asking him something that would actually take away his joy or take away his freedom, but rather it it preserved and protected him. Well, God's law is similar. It is given to protect you from evil, from what is false and dangerous and deadly. The creator knows what is good for his creatures. Your father knows what is good for you, his children. And there will be times when God, as your creator or your father, will take things from you that you love or that you trust, even good things, because he wants you to love and trust him more. He wants to protect you. He doesn't want your hearts to be drawn away from him. It's true that this commandment forbids so much. There is so much that is off limits. All of the commandments are are restrictive in one sense. They, They forbid so much. This commandment is exclusive, but it actually gives freedom and true joy. It protects and preserves you as it points you to the true and living God, to trust in him alone, to worship him alone. Well, then fifth and finally, Tonight, the first commandment is powerful. The first commandment is powerful. This is the very first commandment. It's foundational. It undergirds and affects all the others. God created you for him. He created you to be in relationship 
with Him, to worship Him. And when you don't, when anything but Him takes His place, the effects are powerful. When you, who you love, who you trust and worship, who you spend time with, shapes you and molds you and drives you. It affects life now and forever. Uh, we sang in Psalm 115, um, it says, You become like what you worship. And if you worship what has no life, what is empty and foolish and powerless, that is what you will become like. And what you do with this very first commandment will have huge ramifications, eternal ramifications. Who do you love? Who do you live for? Who do you worship and trust and obey? If it is the true God by faith in his Son, by whom he has made himself known, and who is the only mediator and Savior, then you are on the path of life. But if it is false gods, if you worship and serve false gods, if you live for the self, if you're living for anything or anyone but God, if you're placing your hope and your confidence in them, rejecting the true God, who is the only Savior of sinners, that is a path that leads to destruction. If you ignore this commandment, if you disobey this commandment, if you are outside of Christ rejecting the true God, if you do not believe in and worship and trust the true God, you may feel free. You may fit in with the world around you. You may get some things in this life that you want and that give you some passing pleasure, but it will ultimately leave you empty and helpless and joyless, and it will lead to an eternity in hell. And that is why God says, no, do not have them. Have me as your God. I alone satisfy. I alone give true joy and hope and purpose. Uh, give me glory. Let me be your God. I will give you life. This is a powerful and pivotal commandment. Thanks be to God that in Christ, by faith in Christ, he frees us from sin and from self-worship and from false gods and enables us to trust him and worship him alone. Friends, this very first commandment confronts each of you personally and directly. And it asks you tonight, who will you serve? Who do you serve? Who is your God? Who will be your God, your Lord, your life? Who is the object of your devotion and worship? Who or what gets you out of bed in the morning? Who is your hope in the face of death? Joshua in Joshua chapter 24 put this to Israel. He said, Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods your father served or the gods of the Amorites. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friends, who will you serve? Who is your God? Who do you serve? Serve the living God. Trust in him. Worship him alone. He offers you life and truth and security and peace and joy and glory forever in Jesus Christ. Why would you want any other God? Why would you have any other God? What can they do for you? When God had saved his people from Egypt, he showed them that he was the only true, powerful God. One by one, he took on Egypt's false gods in each of the plagues that he sent. He made it abundantly clear that he was the true God. And when God sent his own son to save his people from sin and death, to save sinners, to save you and me, He made it abundantly clear that he was the living and true God. By his words and his works, his miracles, by his perfect life and atoning death and his resurrection and his ascension. What other God died and rose again to save sinners? Romans 1.4 says Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power by the resurrection. Friends, this is the true God. The God that gave his only son who died and rose again so that you might have life. So that you might have no other gods before him. Do you hear tonight his personal call and command to you? Will you cling to him when the world, all the world clings to others? Will you trust in him and not the things of this world? Will you love him above all else? Him who loved you in your sins. Will you give him your life and your worship? Your whole life is before him. Give him all of it. For your good and for his glory. Choose this day. Have no other God before him who sent his son to live and die for you, that you might have him as your God, that he might be your God. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this command. Lord, we confess that we, in our sin, in our foolishness, Lord, we have other gods before you. We run after the gods of this world. Our hearts manufacture false gods. And Lord, we pray that you would enable us to repent and cling to you alone. We thank you and praise you that Jesus Christ perfectly kept this commandment for us. We thank you that you gave him up for us all so that we might have life in you, so that we might know you and worship you and love you as the true and living God. Father, enable us to have no other gods before you by faith to your glory, even in this world that has so many gods. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by giving him praise together. Please turn 
to Psalm 72, Selection C. 72, Selection C. May God be blessed, the Lord alone. Let's stand and give praise to God from 72, Selection C.